So I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm speaking to the 12 disciples uh, tonight. Uh, but you know what? I was just thinking about it when I was sitting over there. And um, you know what? Jesus had 12 disciples. And it was 12 disciples and he's 72. And the, the woman that he related with, that was the foundation of the church. And, it, and the world has never been the same ever since. So I, wanna, I just feel to encourage you tonight. Uh, tonight is your moment. You are trailblazers, trendsetters, history makers tonight. So I want us just to encourage us tonight to just have a heart of expectation because I really feel like God wants to shift something in our hearts tonight. So welcome everybody. It's really good to see um, some familiar faces, um, some faces. Genia, it's really great to see you. I just want to honor you in front of, I mean, so many people here. I know you've been praying many, many years for me and I just want to honor you. Um, it's really wonderful. Um, Mom and Jay and yeah, it's wonderful to have you guys here all with us tonight. So, yeah, so I grew up or I was surrounded by Christianity and church um, for my life, throughout my life. But something was off. Basically, if I just <laughs> go back here, sorry. I, basically, I was, I was unaware and I, I, struggled to find wo- I struggled to find words for my for my own brokenness and the issues in my life that were going on. And, you know, also regarding the whole, the, the, the dysfunctions within family and things like that. And, you know, I would read the Bible, I could quote scriptures, I would do all the Christian things, but something was just off in my heart until I, I came here in 2009. And then from 2009, all the wheels started coming off. Um, all my brokenness started coming to, the, coming to the surface, and it actually seeped through in my conversations, in my interactions with people. And ever since, Jesus has been transforming me, and he's still busy transforming me. And so essentially tonight, what I want to say is that while freedom itself is a while there are many visible or tangible indicators of freedom, freedom itself, the essence of freedom, the core of freedom is an inside job. It's a transformation of the heart that takes place. So it has to do with our identity, who we are. So maybe two questions that we can ask ourselves tonight, and maybe you can ask yourself even in your time with the Lord is, To what extent do I see myself the way God sees me, number one? And secondly, to what extent is my life in alignment with the truth of of his truth, of the truth of his word? To what extent have I adopted God's ways into every part of my life? John Wimber in his book, Power Healing, makes this statement. He says, I used to tell people that I was just a sinner saved by grace, but I no longer say that. True, I was once a sinner who repented and believed, and as a result was saved by grace. But now I am a child of God, healed of my spiritual sickness, set free from sin, and a slave to righteousness, Romans 6 verse 18. This is to say, My fundamental identity is that I am a child of God, a new creation. So while this thing of 
our identity in Christ, while this speaks of our position in Christ, we don't instantly become like Jesus when we accept Jesus into our lives. How many of you, if you, I think Dave uses this example a couple of times, if you're sitting in your car and let's say you were somebody who, who likes speeding and all of a sudden you, you, know, you get saved, you still find yourself putting your foot on the accelerator. So there's still areas in our lives that, need to, that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And uh, 1 John 3 verse 2 attests to that where it says, when Christ appear, appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So really what I'm trying to say to us tonight is that we live, our lives from, we live our lives from our core values. You might say something, you might even claim, we might even claim that we believe something, but when a crisis comes, when a decision comes, that is when we really find out who we really are. I've heard it said, if you want to test a man's or test a person's character, put them under pressure. How do we act? How do we respond when we are under pressure? when we've got decisions, when we've got that irritating colleague at work, how do we respond? And it's from, that's, that's the core values that, that, we, that we live from. And so, you see, just because we come to church doesn't make us a Christian. Just because I read my Bible doesn't make me a Christian. It is about a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. That is what makes us followers of Jesus. You see, there can be no freedom until there is an awareness and acknowledgement of our brokenness, as well as a confession of personal sin or bondage. So, Maybe a way to just illustrate something. Essie, can you just show that picture for us? I want to just illustrate something for us just to show. So what you can see there, there's an iceberg. And above the water, imagine that represents what you can see in your life. And under the surface is what we don't see. And I believe that the journey of freedom is that the Holy Spirit, um, in our journey with the, with the Holy Spirit, He begins to deal with those underlying things in our lives. And that's what we want to begin to speak about tonight. And so in order for us to address this, this whole, this essence of freedom, that it's a transformation of the heart, we want to look at three things in this journey. Firstly, we want to look at the things that hold us back, things that hold us back from believing who God says we are. Then we want to look at actually what goes on when we encounter God. And thirdly, we want to look at the consequences, like so what? Why is this important? How can we see this actually in our lives? What is the evidence that actually happens in our lives? So thanks, Esther. You can take that off. So the first couple of scriptures I'm not going to read. It is, we're not going to put those up, but I'm going to just make some observations because I really want to focus on the second part this evening, and that has to do with our encou- an encounter with God. What actually happens when we encounter God? Okay? So so if we look at some observations from Genesis 32, verse 4 to 8, as well as verse 30 to 21, there's a few things that I want to just share with us of some of the internal blockages, some of those things beneath the surface, if you like, that the Lord begins to, begins to confront. And in order for us to look at that, we're going to look at the story of Jacob. 
in the, in the Bible. And we're not going to refer to those, we're not going to be reading those scriptures, but we're going to just be making a few observations from that just to understand what this is. So the first, if you like, blockage that happens in our lives is fear. Fear is, is, a, is a thing that comes. And so, you see, in the story, Jacob becomes afraid and distressed when he hears from his messengers that Esau will be coming to meet him, it says, along with 400 men. That's all he said. The messenger just said to him, along with 400 men. And Jacob's response to that is he feels afraid and he feels distressed. So I thought about this and I, and I, and I wondered, I wonder whether Jacob was triggered by something that happened in his past. So what happened in his past? In his past, there were two things that happened. Firstly, he basically stole his brother's birthright. And the second thing that he did was he disguised himself as his brother and he deceived his father Isaac. He appeared like his brother to receive the blessing. And so what happens here is that Jacob is blessed instead of Esau. And there's a couple of responses that Esau makes. And basically, Esau is deeply hurt by this when he finds out that his father is not going to bless him. And secondly, what begins to happen as well is that his, uh, Esau's hurt, if you like, translates and becomes anger to such a point where he actually wants to kill his brother. He wants to hunt down his brother and kill him. So now, 20 odd years later, yeah, Jacob remembers that. And he says, oh my word, what if Esau remembers what I did to him in the past? And so, what we can see from this is that unresolved issues in our past affect the way we relate in the present. Unresolved issues in the past affect the way we, re we relate in the present. Or as one philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, said, he said, we live our lives in the present, but we understand it in the past. Or we live our lives in the present, or life is understood, um, life is understood, how did he put it? He said, uh, life is lived forward, sorry. Life is lived forward, but it is understood backwards. So in order, to, in order for Jacob to go to where the Lord was leading him, he has to go through the doorway of Esau. You see, Jacob is far from believing. He doesn't believe that his brother has actually got over this whole thing. I've heard it said that fear is an acronym that stands for false evidence appearing real. Fear is a real thing. So I'm a teacher. I sometimes, or sometimes, I'm sitting in my classroom and suddenly the intercom goes off. And the secretary says, Mr. Harris, can you come to the office, please? The principal wants to see you. Oh, my word. I am now stressing. I'm kniping. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I, I going to do? I mean, have you ever had a moment you're sitting in your office or you're sitting and the boss calls you? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, let's, let's just get real here. What's the first thing that comes to you? Oh, what have I done wrong now? What did I miss now? Oh, my word. It's, a, it's probably that kid that I, that, I, that, I, that I spoke to in this way or this, or this you know? Something has come up. So, fear. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, 
yeah, whatever. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's a very real thing that happens. Or another, another thing that we, that we struggle on, internal blockage, if you like, is inferiority. That's the second thing we can see in that scripture. So to feel inferior basically means that we see ourselves or we identify ourselves as less than. And so throughout the scripture, it's interesting that Jacob refers to his brother as your servant, not your brother, but your servant, and he refers to Esau as my Lord. And so what's going on here is that Jacob perceives himself as inferior to his brother Esau. So, okay, let's get real for a second. Sometimes I find myself, and maybe you guys can relate, you know, you look on social media and you see these photographs of these people, and they seem to have this all together, they seem to be polished, and you look at yourself and you say, like, what's wrong with me? You know, what do they have that I don't have? And, you've, and I find myself, maybe you've done it as well, maybe we find, we, we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. Like, who does she think she is? Like, hey, do I look good like this, you know? And we compare ourselves, and if we're not careful, our comparisons can fuel discontentment. We can find ourselves feeling discontent because we're comparing ourselves and we can believe the lie that we are inferior. So inferiority is something, um, you know, just to look out for. The third thing that holds us back is control. Control. And we see this where what's going on here is Jacob prepares this outlandish, extravagant gift that he wants to give to his brother. And what's significant here is the motive of his giving. It says in verse 20, I will pacify him. If you're pacifying something or someone, the Cambridge Dictionary defines to pacify someone, it means to to cause someone who is angry or upset to be calm and satisfied. And so he offers these gifts because in his mind he wants to prevent war. Remember, there's 400 men coming here, so he's trying to pacify, he's trying to calm his brother down here. That's, what he, that's what's going on in his mind here. No one says it's a fact, but he's, he's, he's afraid. And so unresolved fear progresses to control and manipulation. So if we're really honest, do we not do the same thing? So, okay, another confession. Here we go. Okay. There was once this girl I liked, like really liked, and I decided I was going to give her this awesome gift. Um, it was a great gift, and I decided to give, it to give it to her, but actually the reason why I gave it to her is because I wanted her to reciprocate towards me. I wanted it to like me back. I wanted, it, I wanted it to feel the same way towards me. And that was manipulation. So we need to watch out for these things. Okay, so those are the three blockages, if you like. So I want us now to focus really on really the essence. Remember, we're speaking about freedom as an internal identity shift that takes place. So I want to look at this place of encounter. Let's look, go to our Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to 31. I'm going to read this for us, and then we're going to make some observations from this pertaining to what happens at the place of encounter. Okay, so let me read this for us. So Jacob was left alone. 
and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Okay, so there's five things. If we look at this encounter, there's five things that happen in this encounter. It's not a formula, so don't treat it as a formula. I want to just share some things. If we unpack the scripture, what happens in this encounter? And how does, when we encounter God, how does that actually bring freedom to our lives? So the first thing we can see in the scripture is the place of encounter is the place of aloneness and darkness. And we see that in verse 21. Uh, in, an, in, in a previous thing, it says, we read that he spends the night alone in the camp. So it is a place of aloneness. It is a place of darkness. And I thought about this. It's interesting just reading some of the classics. Uh, St. John of the Cross talks about the dark, the dark night of the soul. I don't know if some of you have heard of that, that term before. But it's a place where you feel lost. It's a place where you feel alone. You feel dry. And it is a, it is a place where you just don't know what to do. You don't know what's coming. Nothing makes sense around you. And so I know that in the scripture he's talking about literal light. Um, but on a spiritual level, there are times in our lives when it's just really, really dark. And we can't see in front of us. We can't see where am I going, what's happening. And so the purpose of this darkness, says Richard Foster, he says, it is not to punish us or to afflict us. It is to set us free. It is a divine appointment, a privileged opportunity to draw close to the divine center. And so you see, Jacob is brought to this place of aloneness to this place of darkness so that God can do a deep inner work of transformation in his heart. So the place of encounter is the place of darkness and aloneness. Secondly, the second thing we can see in the scripture is the place of encounter is a place where there is confession of sin. And we see this in verse 27, where Jacob confesses his unworthiness. What is your name? The man, God asks him. And he says, Jacob. You see, Jacob is not just who he is. It is what he is. And so when he mentions Jacob, he's acknowledging his sin. Jacob means trickster. It means supplanter. It means heel grabber. So at the place of encounter, there is a confession of sin. God begins to show us things in our lives that he wants to change. God begins to show us, you know what? 
I want to change that. I want to move that. I want to, I want to do something in the deep places of your heart. Number three, the third thing we see in this place of encounter is that there is an identity shift that takes place. And we see this when the, when the man, God, asks Jacob a question. He says, what is your name? And so this question that God asks Jacob also brings Jacob into a place of realization. So in biblical times, a name was not just a name. A name spoke of your identity and it spoke of your destiny. And we see there's a couple of episodes within the Bible where names change. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. And so there's a change that actually takes place here. And so no longer would he be defined as a trickster or a supplanter. Now he is one who strived or contended with God and, overca and, and overcame. And so if we just look back, I just looked at this um, at some stage, and I, I was quite intrigued by this. If we see, um, it says here, going back to verse, let me just find this quickly. Uh, verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So not only does his identity change, his perspective changes as well. When God shifts or aligns our identity, we begin to see life and situations differently. And so when we acknowledge our sins and when we confess our sins before God, and we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, God offers us forgiveness of sin, and we receive a new name. Isn't that awesome? But even, now here's the journey, here's also the thing that happens. In our journey with Jesus, we're still working through things. And so things that are out of alignment is essentially things that are not consistent with our identity as, as God's children. And so the Lord is, is constantly at work within us. Okay, so the place of encounter is a place of an identity shift. Number four, the fourth thing that we see in this, in this place of encounter, the place of encounter is when there is a consuming hunger for God. And we see this in verse 26 where it says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's a desperation in his voice. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And when I read that, I couldn't help but think about the woman with the issue of blood. If only I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I was in a meeting yesterday. Jeannie, you were there. Mom, you were there. Jay, you were there. And we had this meeting yesterday. It's actually at the back over there. It was with people, like literally to the walls, people were in this place. Yesterday, the Holy Spirit was moving, things were happening. The meeting started, two, the meeting started at two o'clock, and yeah, by six o'clock, yeah, by five o'clock, it was still going. Yeah, by six o'clock, uh, most of the people went, but it was still happening. And I was actually chatting to somebody yesterday, and I thought about it, and I said, you know what? That is hunger, hunger, passion for God. Sometimes I think we become so comfortable, caught in our comforts. David this morning was talking about dying to self. You know, we're so comfortable, so caught up in our own stuff, so caught up in our own issues 
at the hunger of the people. I'm not saying we should have four-hour meetings. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But just the hunger and the passion that I saw, I couldn't help but think about, I can't remember where it was, but, you know, yes, Jesus, I think he's preaching in a, in a home, and the place is packed with people until somebody, uh, there was a, a lame man where they actually had to climb the roof and basically, you know, pull him down in a stretcher. Hunger, people. Let's get hungry for God. Let's get desperate for God. How desperate are we? I want to just encourage us tonight. So Jacob had a consuming hunger for God. Okay. And then lastly, the place of encounter is a place where we are transformed when we see the face of God. And we see, um, interestingly, that the word pineal means face of God. And there's a couple of episodes in the Old Testament where, for example, it says, Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Or when Moses came down the mountain, it says that he actually, he actually physically or literally glowed when he came down the mountain. Or when Jesus was up on the mountain or the Mount of Transfiguration, it says he was transfigured. He was, there was the glory. There was, he was shining. You know? So that's what happens when we, when we encounter the Lord. I've heard stories of literally the saints of old, they visibly glow um, you know, with, with the presence of God. And so the place of encountering God is the place of transformation. And so if we see in verse 31, it says, The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And so a place of encounter, we can never be the same. When God gets a hold of us, we are never the same again. And sometimes it comes through a crisis, the loss of a business, the loss of a job. Someone in your family commits suicide, the loss of a baby, a divorce. And it's in those times of crisis you know, when I look back on my own life and I see what happened in 2017 of my life, at that time it was really, really tough and it was really, really difficult and the most difficult year of my life. And I think I shared, shared this with you guys before, is that God didn't change my situation. And sometimes our situations are not going to change. But one thing I could be absolutely clear about is that sometimes God doesn't change our situations but he changes us. We are never the same again. Our faith deepens. We look different. We, we see the world in a different way. And I suspect, something I've been thinking about for fairly recently, is that I think when we go through difficult times, when we go through times of suffering, and although it's painful, I think that that's one of the ways that we learn compassion for people. We learn to be empathetic. We learn to love people. I'm not saying you can't minister to people if you haven't gone through something, but there just seems to be this, this grace. There's something that when you've gone through something in your life and you begin to walk with someone, you know, like Paul says, I comfort those with the comfort I myself have received, you know. And so it felt like my whole world had collapsed and that all hope was lost. But you know, Looking back on my life right now, I'm never the same again. So 
That's, those are some of the things that happen in a place of encounter. So maybe you're saying, okay, well, so what? You know, like, what does it actually do in my life? And how does this change? And what do I see visibly in my life? So let's go to Exodus, not Exodus, Genesis 32, verse 1 to 4 quickly. I want to read this and just make two closing statements. It says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants, and he put female servants and their children in front, Leah and their children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran and met Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. There's two things that happen. There's two visible indicators that we can see from this passage that happens when we encounter God. The first one, courage. Courage. With verse 2, we read, it's interesting that before, he lines up his family from those that he loved the least. He puts them in front um, to, the, to, the, to those that he loved most, towards the back, closer to him. So before his encounter with God, he sends his family ahead of him while he stays alone. One might argue that he wanted to protect himself. Uh, maybe he saw them, his family was sort of expendable. Let me, you know, if, if they die, what happens? At least I'm going to be safe, you know. But now, something happened. Something shifted. In verse 3, we read that he goes ahead. He goes in front of all his family to approach his brother. You see, it is at this place, in this place of encounter, in addition to him receiving a new name, he receives new courage. Previously, he was afraid to face his brother, but now he has the courage to face his brother, and this is after encountering the Lord in that, in that place. And recently went through uh, Psalm 77, and we're not going to go through that, but there's a, there's a very interesting lesson that we can learn from Psalm 77, and it is this. And I believe it's appropriate to this situation. It's that when we reflect on the breakthroughs of the past, God instills within us a courage to face the present and to live with a sense of hopeful anticipation for the future. God changes us. God does things on the inside of us. We receive a new courage. And secondly, the second and the final thing I want to just talk about is what happens at the place of encounter and the, or the, the fruit, if you like, or the consequences after this encounter. The second thing we see is reconciliation. And we've, we've recently gone through a series of reconciliation. I encourage you to have a look at that. And so the fact that Esau is not angry and that he embraces Jacob, he throws his arms around his neck and he kisses him. I can't help but think about this is so reminiscent of the story in Luke chapter 15 when the father embraces his son, his wayward son. And so I've been there. You know, in, it was around about 2013, I, unfortunately, I, I, um, yeah, I, left, I left the church very badly. I went up north and then I, I came back. But something happened. I'll never forget that, and I want to publicly honor you, Dave, 
I remember in 2017 coming back and coming to my parents, and I remember we had a bri. And I was just broken, totally just broken. And that day, Dave decided to come and visit me and pop in to say hello. And that really spoke to my heart, Dave. I want to just honor you and thank And I just saw that was the Father's heart in you ministering to me in that way. So I want to thank you for just doing that simple thing. It really meant a lot to me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And so also fairly recently, I just touched briefly on my family background. It was really quite strained growing up. But, you know, fairly recently I've... I've started having a, you know, um, conversation. Well, I've always chatted, but something has shifted in my conversation with my, one of my sisters who, who lives in Ireland, and we're connecting, and we talk about life and things, and it's really a wonderful thing. And by no means is it perfect. By no means is it, you know, we're still in this, this thing of we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. But God's at work, and um, it's, it's not the same. It's moving, and it's shifting, you know? And so... What have we learned tonight? At the core of it all, freedom has to do with an ongoing shift in our identity or realignment. To what extent am I seeing myself the way God sees me? Do I perceive myself? Do I believe the truth of who, I, of who he calls me to be? And secondly, there can be no freedom until there is an awareness and acknowledgement of brokenness as well as a personal confession of sin and, or bondage. The place of encountering God is a place of inner transformation. And the fruit of encountering God, if you like, is that we receive courage, and we are also, we see in chapter 2, that just like Jacob, we are reconciled to God. And in chapter 33, Jacob was reconciled with his brother, and we are reconciled with those around us. So I just want to, can we get the worship team up? I want to just uh, pray and just invite the Lord and just see what he might want to do with us tonight as we, as we just take a few moments just to really just, yeah, you know, I believe the Lord just wants to minister to some people tonight in, wherever we're in our different spaces, wherever we find ourselves. Thank you, Lord. So I've just asked our team, can our team just come forward? Um, I've just asked our team just to share, uh, come, come forward, where's, where's the guys? If, if you guys sense anything, we just want to, I've just asked them just to be prayerful, um, and then just before we going to worship, or while we're busy worshiping, we're going to just allow the Lord to see what he wants to do. So, Holy Spirit, we just honor you in this place. We worship you, we honor you, and Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Come and have your way, Lord. Come and do what you want to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Go ahead, if you see if you feel something. Thank you. Uh, just two things. If there's anyone who has a chest, chest pain, anyone with a chest issue. Anybody got a chest issue? Anybody in pain in your chest area? Chest somewhere there. 
Okay. Clarity for 2023. Anybody need clarity for 2023? Clarity. Want to pray for clarity? You're not sure what to do yet. Okay. Those two things. This is a safe space, guys. Whatever. Just right. yeah. If, some, if something resonates with your heart, I just want to encourage you just to raise your hand. We'd love to just pray for you. Be a blessing to you. Is the worship cause? All right. Come, come. Go okay. All right. That's fine. Okay. Thank you. Go for it. If you feel that, just um, as we as we worship, we're going to just be praying for people and uh, doing that. Thanks, Mom. Jolene. Okay, so I've got two things. Um, the first one is I've had um, some time with the Lord this week, and God really just brought something to light. And it's like God's really putting on my heart tonight that there's some people that's really been crying out to God for a very long time because they've been in this place. And um, something has not changed. It might be a, a illness. It might be something mentally. It might be something like a very heavy heart. Um, it might affect them physically, spiritually, in any way. But um, God is just saying that as you go into this year and as you reach out to other people and just walking along them with their brokenness, that something will shift and take place in your own life. And your healing will come. Your deliverance will come. Your freedom will come. Um, that's the first thing I've got just to share and encourage, so whoever it might be. Um, and then the second thing um, I've just really felt is there's somebody here that's been in a season of a deep loneliness. It's like almost killing them. It's like they're really feeling lonely. Um, I don't know if there's somebody Can here. anybody relate to that? Loneliness. Okay. Oh, God is good. Amen. As Rob was talking about the word, and something just prompted in my spirit that was like I was at home and I was filled with it. I'm coming here and I say, Lord, Father, you just have your way. So tonight there's two things. Is that I feel the word is about freedom. So if you're sitting here tonight, you're sitting with a bondage of pain. And you are in the bondage of unforgiveness. And I want to just tell you a story about my daughter, our daughter. The eldest one and how she had an encounter with God. Now, if you want to have an encounter with God, you're literally going to have to let yourself go. It was a couple of years ago when she found out that she was pregnant. It was the happiest time of our lives. It was New Year's Eve, and I will never forget it. And we in a service, and my husband must minister that evening. 
We were so excited because of the news and everything was just going perfectly. That night she walked in and she said, Mom, I've got a pain in my back. And I think she was a couple of months pregnant already. So while my husband was getting ready for the word, I had to rush her to hospital because we couldn't stop what was happening or taking place. So I took her to the hospital. And when we got there, she started bleeding. After that, they said, no, she had to stay in. A week went past. They said they're going to have to take baby out. You know, it was the saddest time of our lives, especially when you're a child of God and you've got all your things going for you and then just something started going wrong. The doctors told her that she must give it time because her body is like this, that when it detects that she is uh, uh, pregnant, then it attacks the cell. And so it's going to be, it's going to take time. It's going to be difficult and all that type of thing and all that medical terms. But the week thereafter, a couple of weeks thereafter, I was feeling so sad for her because I could just imagine the pain that she must, be, must have felt at that time couple of weeks after that, she said to me, she came to me, she said to me, Mom, I had an encounter with God. I said, how? What, what happened? She said she, she, she went into her room and she was crying before God and asking him why. And she's laying it before him and saying that, Father, I need you to remove this pain that I am feeling. That is why I'm saying tonight, if you feel you're sitting in the bondage of pain, it is time to let it go. So that day, she decided that, Father, I need you to help me to let this pain go. A couple of months later, after her encounter, she fell pregnant again. And today, our grandchild is five, turning five years old. Mm. So I want to tell you tonight... If you need to feel, to be free of whatever you are feeling, whatever you are facing, you need to let it go. Whatever unforgiveness there is, maybe you, you're unforgiving because of you feel that whatever has happened to you was God's fault. Because we come to a time when you do feel like that. It is time to let it go. So I'm here to say to you tonight that freedom is at your doorstep. So if you feel you still want to sit into, in that bondage of pain, you need to let it go. You need to let go of unforgiveness. You need to let go of that pain so that the Holy Spirit can come and make you free. Hmm. Just let it go. Awesome. So, if, so if you relate to that, yeah, just um, be receptive to that. Amen. Can you hear me? That's my wife, by the way. I'm the husband. But emotional. And by the way, we're having our second grandchild already, eh? We've got two grandchildren now. So I'll tell you that. <laughs> Very excited. In my spirit, when even when, when Rob was ministering, 
I didn't know where he's going to minister tonight. No idea. Have anyone seen the movie Troy? Hmm. Anyone seen the movie Troy? Raise up your hand if you see the movie Troy. Hmm. I love that movie because it displays uh, a, a host of, of warriors about to, about to have a battle. And in my spirit, I saw something like that. But my main emphasis was on the one big angel. Because that's I was, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a heavenly host that was so vast and so huge. I saw one angel come down from heaven and come straight into the ground. And he just stood with his sword in his hand and the sword was into the ground. But I couldn't see his face. I just saw from the bottom of his sandals up to his legs and I just saw him standing there. And when Rob started ministering about freedom and then he spoke about courage is as the Lord is saying, you've been facing this thing and you still fear it, but I have your back. Mm. If you look behind you, there's a new angel already standing there. And behind the angel is a heavenly host of angels waiting to do your bidding. Mm. If you'll just take that step forward in courage and to face your fear. Because your fear will not destroy you. Your fear will be like Esau. They will embrace you, and you will embrace that fear and realize that this fear is not really against me. It's something that I can learn from. So I say, maybe tonight you're feeling the same way like Jacob felt. It's time to take courage and to take that step forward because God says, he has your back. Amen. Amen.